Thank you for downloading The Pursuit Podcast. For more information on The Pursuit, visit thepursuitsoco.com. I was preaching. I talked about the importance of loving God, loving yourself so we can love others. Remember that? And we talked about how important it is to really understand how God feels about us and that his love is unconditional. There's nothing you can do to change how he feels about you for better or for worse. You're stuck with how much he loves you. All right. So that's beautiful. But sometimes I think as Christians, we can um, have this notion that we're really trying to understand God's unconditional love. And once we figure that out, that's it. We got it. But I'm here to tell you that that is just the beginning, all right? Understanding God's unconditional love for you is uh, Christianity 101. It's elementary. It's first grade, all right? I know it seems like a big thing, and I really pray that everybody gets it, but it is not the end. It is just the beginning of what he has for us, all right? So the, we had this conversation in staff meeting the other day where we were talking about how I need you to not turn off. Thank you. All right. We were talking about how sometimes it can seem like with people and with Jesus that there's almost like, I know it sounds really funny, but almost like measures of his unconditional love. Does that make sense? Where it's like, oh, he loves me. You know, I know he always loves me, but he loves me a little bit more today and than he did yesterday because yesterday I, you know, I wasn't doing great yesterday. So he loves me a little bit more today because I did all the things. I checked all the boxes, right? Anybody else feel like that sometimes? Like, okay, I did all the things, so now he loves me just a little bit more. And we had this conversation, and what I said is, well, the thing is, is that his love is, it just is. There's no measures of it for you. But there are levels and measures of intimacy and connection that you can have with the Lord. So his love is not dependent on your performance at all. Nothing you can do will change it, but intimacy is dependent on your pursuit of him, all right? So we can have different levels of intimacy with Jesus, but his love never changes, right? And so we're going to kind of go on this journey because once we figure out how much he loves us, then there's only one thing left to do. And that's become trustworthy, to become a friend of Jesus, to become someone who he trusts with his secrets, and to dive into intimacy with him, all right? So let's pray, and I'm going to dive into it. Jesus, I just thank you so much for who you are, and I am absolutely humbled at your goodness. Oh. And I just pray today that you would show us how much you want to be in intimate, authentic, real relationship with us and how much you really just desire to see our hearts and show you yours. Show us your heart today, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you want, you can turn to Luke 6. I'm kind of going to be all over the place today in uh, the Gospels. Um, so we're going to dive into what intimacy looks like. All right, so Luke 6, we're going to start in chapter 12. We're just going to read a little portion here. All right, so verse 12. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus went into the high hills to spend the whole night in prayer to God. 
And at daybreak, he called together all of his followers and selected 12 from among them. And he appointed them to be his apostles. And here are their names. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, Jacob, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, Jacob, son of Alphaeus, Simon, known as the fiery political zealot, Judah, the son of Jacob, and Judas, the locksmith, who later betrayed Jesus. All right, so here we have Jesus. He goes off to the mountain to uh, talk with his father, and all of his followers know that when he does this, something big is coming. All right, so every time he goes off, something else is happening. He's going to get some wisdom. And I can imagine when he comes back and gathers all of his followers. So they say that there was somewhere between 70 and 76 people with Jesus at this time that were following him around. It wasn't just the 12. It was 70 or so people who had been walking with him, talking with him, seeing his miracles, seeing what he is doing. And then he sits them down, and he's like, all right, here we go. I'm going to pick 12 of you. And I'm sure it's like the dodgeball line, you know, where you're like, please pick me. Please don't be last. Please don't be, you know. And, and so this was the moment when he was going to choose his disciples. And in that time, disciples didn't just mean I'm a student of this teacher. It literally meant you have an opportunity to be exactly like your master that you would get to spend time with him. The definition was to actively imitate the life and teaching of your master, a deliberate apprenticeship that was to make a carbon copy of the master. So imagine you've been walking with Jesus and all of a sudden he calls your name. And he says, no, now you are my disciples. And I wonder how many of the 70 are like, really, Peter? Like, that guy? For reals, that guy is crazy. (laughs) But see, these, these 70 or so people that were following Jesus, we don't, it doesn't say how long they had been with Jesus, but later in this chapter, he sends them off two by two. He says, don't take anything with you and go and heal the sick, cast out demons, and he empowers them to go and live in his power. So they must have been with him for some time, right? They believed that they could go off, and that he would provide everything they needed. They weren't allowed to take food or money or weapons, nothing. And so they must have been with him long enough to see that he was who he said he was, right? But see, they had been given power, but the 12 got invited into an intimate relationship with Jesus. See, they had a deeper access to Jesus. They got to join him at the dinner table. And because of the cross, we get that same invitation. And I remember during, you know, it was like the 90s, mid-90s, and there was just a big move of God. And and I just remember I'm 14, 15 years old, and we would see um, evangelists come through, prophets come through, and they would move in amazing power. And then moments or months or years later, we'd find out they had some sort of moral failure. See, you can live and walk in the power of Jesus and not actually have an intimate relationship with him. Because unconditional love is the thing that sent Jesus to the cross and saved us. But intimacy with Jesus is what produces our character. It's what sustains us. It's what keeps us in our identity. It's what gives us 
the ability to go, no, this isn't who I am. This is who I am. And so we have to press into that intimacy. I tell you, since the connection codes, my relationship with my wife, and I don't want to brag, but we have a great marriage, and we have for a while, okay? Like, we do life really well together. We get along really well. Like, we hardly ever fight. We have conflict, but we work it out. But we have found a level of intimacy that I did not know was possible. And what I found is that the closer and deeper connection I have with her, the less tolerance I have for disconnection. So where there before, there would be a day, maybe there's something that hurt my feelings, or I hurt her feelings, and there'd be a day or two or even a week where I was okay with kind of processing that and, and maybe afraid to talk to her, and I could just live in that. And now, I can't even go moments. And that's how it's supposed to be with Jesus. I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it, all right? And so I want to take a quick look at two particular disciples, okay? And I think it's very interesting that in all the Gospels, when they, they talk about Jesus picking the disciples, they always put these two in the same place. So they always start with Peter and end with Judas. I don't know if that's the order Jesus picked them in or not, but I think in hindsight, it's kind of funny that they started with Peter and ended with Judas, you know, after all the thing. But here's the deal. Both men had the exact same invitation for intimacy. And both men betrayed Jesus. Both men turned their back on their best friend, on their savior. But one was known as the one who served up Jesus to be slaughtered. And one is known as the foundation of the church. And so what's the difference between those two? Is it that God loved Peter more than he loved Judas? No, I don't think so. All right, turn with me to Matthew 26. We're going to read a good portion of scripture here, all right? And this is proof that, that Jesus loved them both the same. All right, we're going to start in verse 19. Bear with me, I'm going to read a, a good little portion here. All right. The disciples did as Jesus had instructed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. And when evening came, he took his place at the table and dined with the twelve. While they were eating, Jesus spoke up and said, One of you is about to betray me. And feeling deeply hurt by these words, one after another asked him, You don't mean me, do you? And he answered, It is one who has shared meals with me as an intimate friend which was all 12 of them. All that was prophesied of me will take place, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays the Son of Man. It would be far better for him if he had never been born. Then finally, Judas, the traitor, spoke up and asked him, Teacher, perhaps it is I. And Jesus said, You said it. Yeah. Not me. You said it, not me. Gosh. Heartbreaking. And as they ate, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said to them, this is my body, eat it. Then taking the cup of wine, he gave thanks to his father and he entered into covenant with them. Saying, this is my blood, each of you must drink it in fulfillment of the covenant. For this is the blood that seals the new covenant. It will be poured out for many for the complete forgiveness of sins. And the next time we drink this, I will be with you. And we will drink it together with new understanding in the kingdom realm of my father. 
Then they sang a psalm and left for the Mount of Olives. Jesus, sorry, and along the way, Jesus said to them, before the night is over, you will all desert me. This will fulfill the prophecy of the scripture that says, I will strike down the shepherd and all the sheep will scatter far and wide. But after I am risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and will meet you there. Then Peter spoke up and said, even if all the rest lose courage and fall away, I will still be beside you, Jesus. And Jesus said, are you sure, Peter? In fact, before the rooster crows, a few hours from now, you will have denied me three times. And Peter replied, I absolutely will never deny you, even if I have to die with you. And all the others said the same thing. All right, so you have... Jesus having his last meal with his best friends, these men that have walked with him in all sorts of trials, all sorts, they've, they've abandoned and left behind everything, and he says to these two men, you will betray me, and in the midst of that, he makes a covenant with them. He says, I in you and you in me, that is unconditional love. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that they're going to turn their back on him. And they know, he knows that his friends are going to be the ones to serve him up to his enemies. And still he makes covenant with him. See, there's this, we're going to pause here for a second. We'll come back to that scripture. But there's this moment in, in Mark 6. So it's about three chapters after Jesus calls his 12, okay? After he says, you can be just like me, right? You walk with me, you can be just like me. And Jesus sends the 12 out onto the water and he says, go ahead and I'll be with you in a little bit. And they start rowing their boat and then all of a sudden the waves just start coming up and it starts to be a storm. And then As it's dark, they see this shadow of a figure passing by them on the water, and they all freak out. What the heck? Is it a ghost? Jesus says, no, it's all right. It's me. And I can just imagine all 12 of them in this boat. They're like, wait, wait. Jesus is, okay, this is weird. He's out on the water? What's happening? And only Peter says, if it's really you, tell me to come out there. What he's saying is, you just told me I could be exactly like you. If it's really you, I want to be just like you. And he's like, come on. So he steps out of the boat. He steps out of the boat. We'll go back to verse 36. Then Jesus led the disciples to an orchard called the oil press, and he told them, sit here while I go and pray. And then he took Peter, Jacob, and John with him. And an intense feeling of great sorrow plunged his soul into agony. And he said to them, my heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief. It feels though I'm dying. See, your pursuit of intimacy with Jesus will let you see parts of his heart that he doesn't show other people. The other nine didn't get to see that. Now listen, I don't know what James and John did to be in that, but I'm sure that Jesus getting out of the boat made Jesus go, I can trust you with this. You want to be just like me. And see, this is what intimacy looks like. Even when storms of life are happening, waves crashing all around, you still say, I want to be with my Savior. I want to step out of the boat into walk with you. 
See, it's really cool. Like, over these last few months, Christine and I have been really pursuing a level of intimacy that we never thought possible. And I have, you know, we've been married almost 17 years, and I know there's lots of people who have been married longer than me here, but there's things about her that as we become more and more intimate that I did not know. And I'm like, literally, I've heard every single one of her childhood stories to where she goes, hey, have you heard this one? I'm like, yeah, you've told me that like five times. But there's pieces of her that I am discovering because we're pursuing intimacy at a deeper level. And that's what Jesus wants for us. He's like, come, come, let me show you more of my heart. And as he shows you more of his heart, you learn more about yourself. But I think that sometimes... We let the shame of our behavior keep us from stepping out of the boat. I mean, I think it's not even that we, we think God loves us any less. I mean, I think that most of us got that, at least in our head. You know, it doesn't matter what I do, God loves me. He died on the cross for me, and he knew all I was going to do, but... But there's something about our behavior that goes, I just, I don't feel worthy to be that close to you. And we let our behavior and the shame of our behavior keep us from that intimate relationship. I see Judas, I don't know if... I don't know if he knew what was going to happen to Jesus. I don't know if he knew that they were going to kill him. But he definitely knew something was going to happen. You know, and he, he betrays Jesus. He, he, for some money, I think maybe he thought, I'm not 100% sure if this is the real deal. It's not good. And if it's really Jesus, he'll save himself. It'll be fine. But somehow he sacrificed his relationship with Jesus for some coin. And he walks, he brings the, the soldiers to the garden, and he, and he kisses Jesus. And Jesus is like, man, really? With a kiss, you're going to betray the Son of Man. And then Peter, what? Cuts off the ear of the soldier. And I find it really interesting that Judas and Peter are on opposite sides, and they're both wrong. Jesus reprimands Peter for trying to stop what he just reprimanded Judas of doing. But this thing, when we try to put our hands on what God's doing and we don't have the kingdom perspective, it doesn't matter if we think we're right or wrong. If it's not kingdom, then it's not right. I'm trying. So Jesus is taken away, right? They, and then we see, I, I, I like to imagine this. So Peter follows, but it says he follows a little distance behind. And I think, I feel like he's kind of like, let me see, like he almost like he's going to try and rescue him or something. Like he's got this little plan, you know, and he's like, okay, I told him I would die for him. So I'm going to just follow close behind and, and, and then someone recognizes him and reality hits uh-oh, now his life's really on the line. No, I don't know that guy. And I think probably the first time he was like, ah, it's no big deal. It just, 
I just look, you know, he probably was like, no, I don't know him. And he's just trying to keep an eye on Jesus and see what's happening and maybe wait for his moment. And then another person asks him and makes a little bit more noise about it. And now his life's really in danger. He's like, ooh, they got my master. And if I'm associated with him, I'm probably going to end up in that same spot. And his humanity kicks in. And he starts probably thinking about all the things and all the pain. And then Luke chapter 2, but Peter was adamant. Listen, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't you understand? I don't even know him. And while the words were still in his mouth, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord who was being led through the courtyard by his captors turned around and gazed into Peter's eyes. And all at once, Peter remembered the words Jesus had prophesied over him. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter burst into tears and ran from the crowd. It just, for me, like, I, I can sit in the pain of Jesus and Peter. Can you imagine how many times had Jesus looked Peter in the eyes before? How many times had he looked him in the eyes and spoke identity, spoke to him who he was? And that's the, the moment he realizes what he has done. And all of a sudden, he looks into Jesus' eyes, and he actually sees who he is. He's like, dang it. I really wanted to be with him. I really wanted to die for him. It's, the eyes are this symbol of intimacy. You know, in Psalms 32, it says, I will guide you and direct you with my eyes. And you know how close you have to be for somebody to guide you with their eyes? And that was the moment he realized, I betrayed my best friend. I betrayed my master. And I just, I like, I, I like to think about the moments right after Judas and Peter betrayed their savior. I don't know about you, but I've found myself in plenty of situations where, man, just ashamed of my behavior. When I've acted outside of who Jesus said I was, and I, it's almost like it's a different person. I step back and I'm like, I can't, I can't even believe I did that. Damn it. I see Judas, he, he felt so much shame when he found out that Jesus was going to die. He felt so much shame that he, he threw the silver at the priest's feet and then gave up on relationship. He hung himself. And I, I can tell you, I can remember this season of life where I was so ashamed of my behavior, and I was so um, afraid of looking people in the eyes that I just gave up on relationship. I just can't. I just can't. And especially with my parents, it was interesting, we were talking about this last weekend when they were here, and man, it was uncomfortable for me to hear all of these years later how they felt when I just wouldn't answer their calls. When I would not call them back, 
when my mom was like, I don't know if he's alive. I just couldn't face it. Just the shame. Fortunately, my parents are amazing, and they fought for me. <laughs> and now here I am, praise the Lord. But how many times have we done that? You know, how many times have we just felt the weight of our behavior and we just, like, Jesus, I just can't. And we've kind of, like, given up on the relationship. But then we have Peter in this four days or so after Jesus has died. And him and the disciples, or the rest of the disciples, are just they're, like, walking on the shore by the sea. And, and Peter's like, I don't know what else to do. Like, all right, let's go fishing. You know, let's just, let's just go fishing. And what I think is interesting is that he returned to the identity that he had before Jesus spoke who he was really supposed to be. So he was supposed to be a fisher of men, not a fisherman. But because of his shame of what he had done, he's like, you know, I don't know who I am anymore, so I'm going to return to what's easy. I'm going to return to what I know, what I know. And that's what our shame can do for us. It can eliminate what Jesus has said about us and let us control who we think we are and our identity. But then all of a sudden, Peter hears a familiar voice. He hears the voice of his Savior on the beach, on the shore. And just like before, he goes, I must be with my master. But this time, he doesn't just step out. He dives into the water and swims as hard as he can to the shore. I have this picture of it in my head because he's like swimming and the rest of the disciples are rowing their boat. They're like, we could have got you there faster. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> they all row to the shore and then he's still. But that, that was the passion in his heart. See, Peter decided, I don't care about the shame of my behavior. I have to be with my master. I have to be with my savior. And I don't care what he's going to say to me, but I have to swallow my pride and humble myself and be with this man who told me who I was, who changed my name and called me into my destiny. I must be with my Savior. And so he got out of the boat. And then this amazing thing happens. Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? The same amount of times that he denied him, he says, then take care of my sheep. So not only did Jesus restore him to his identity that Jesus had called, this is the first time that he actually got launched into his destiny. Because this time it was an action. It wasn't, I will build my church on this rock. It was, now go and build my church. See, on the other side of you pressing through your shame is not only a solidification of who Jesus says you are, but it's a launching into your destiny. I always hated that verse in Corinthians that says, in my weakness, he is strong. And every time I read that, I heard it as, you need to be weak so I can be strong. And one time I was reading it, and God said, no, I didn't make you weak. But every weakness you have is an opportunity for intimacy with me. 
Every single time you have a decision between right and wrong and you don't know what it is, it's an opportunity to press through into a deeper level of intimacy with him. And on the other side of that, you get to see more of God's heart. And he just opens up more and he shows you not just his heart, but in his heart is your heart and who you are and more of who you are. And this is the first time in my life, guys, the last couple of years were, you heard me say it, the worst of my life. And I can stand here today and tell you I wouldn't change it for anything. This is the first time in my life I feel so secure in who I am that I'm not afraid of myself anymore. I can tell you, I used to live in fear. I just don't, I, I don't know what decision I'm going to make. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I have good intentions, but that was the first time as we pressed in, because it was the only thing that saved me wasn't God's unconditional love. That wasn't the thing that got me through. It was intimacy. It was connection. I knew he loved me, and that was the easy part. The hard part was saying, I messed up. But I need you. I have to be close to you. And I, I wonder what would have happened if Judas would have just waited four more days. What would have happened if he didn't give up? What would have his destiny been? Just four more days. See, both men were invited to a, another level of intimacy. Both men walked with Jesus. Both men were friends of Jesus. They sat at his table. He made covenant with them. And both of them betrayed Jesus. The only difference between Peter and Judas is Peter got out of the boat. When Peter wanted intimacy with Jesus, no matter what was happening, no matter how big the storm, he said, I have to be with my master. I get to be just like him. And he stepped out of the boat. And when the shame of his behavior was overwhelming and overcame him, he said, I have to be with my master. He humbled himself. And so today, I want to leave you with this encouragement. Unconditional love is just the beginning. And I want to encourage you to get out of the boat. Even when it feels like the storm and the waves are way too big, you can't see Jesus and you take your eyes off of him, I don't care. Get out of the boat. Walk towards your Savior. On the other side of that intimacy is a relationship you will not regret. And when you feel ashamed of your behavior, when you feel like everything you have done disqualifies you from being intimate friends with this Jesus, humble yourself. 
humble yourself and get out of the boat. Swim to your father. Because on the other side of that shame is an intimacy and an identity and a destiny bigger than you could imagine. He just wants you to get out of the boat. See, unconditional love is amazing, guys. It's beautiful, and we're absolutely called to understand it, unconditionally love Jesus ourselves, and then release that to people on the earth. Absolutely, but that is just the beginning. We are called to point to a relationship that is so intimate that you are seen for exactly who you are, exactly where you are, and nothing has to change, and you still get to be fully open and honest and show your heart. Isn't that desire of all of our hearts to be fully seen and fully known? Right where we are on our journey of being better. Not that we're not trying to be better. We are all the time, but I just want to see I want him to see me. Because if he can see me, then I get to show me to you. If I can walk into that relationship and not be afraid of what he's going to say and what he's going to see, then I can show something to you and to them. So our father, I, I just know he, he desperately, desperately wants an intimate authentic, vulnerable, deep relationship with us. It's the whole reason he created us. Unconditional love was just the beginning. And he's standing there. He's like calling us. Come on, step out of the boat. Like I said, unconditional love doesn't matter. Your performance has nothing to do with how much he loves you. But your level of intimacy is on you. Your pursuit of your Savior will determine how much of his heart you get to see. All right, stand with me. All right, everyone close your eyes. I really... As I was preparing this message, I really felt like there's, there was an invitation for me, for sure, to, to explore this deeper relationship with Jesus, but I really felt like there was an invitation for the pursuit, for this family to be a family that knows how to live an authentic, deep relationship with Jesus, to be fully seen and known. So, Father, I just ask you to come right now. Uh, we just open your hearts. There's a moment of invitation today. And I'll be honest, I've been really, really freaking scared to let him all the way in. Gosh, there's so much in there, I don't want him to see. There's so much in there that I've been really ashamed of. But I desperately just want to be known. Because there is no one who will accept you for all of who you are other than him. 
Father. Jesus, I just ask you to come. You are so wonderful. We are in awe of your goodness. Guys, I just I want to invite you right now. Whatever you have to do in your heart to humble yourself, to push past your shame. I feel it. I feel the I feel it really heavy. There is a lot of shame in this room. Father, bring grace. Grace right now to press through the shame, to press through the shame of the behaviors, to press through the shame of the thought life, to press through that, that lie that says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to look you in the eyes, Jesus. That's the whole reason he died for you, not just for your salvation, but because he wants to look you in the eyes. Father, I ask right now that you would wash away the shame. Wash away the shame. (sighs) Father, we thank you for your unconditional love. We thank you for that. But we say right here, right now, today as a family, we will pursue you. We will pursue you. We will pursue your heart And we will open our heart to yours. If that's you today, if you want to partner with me to press into an intimate, a deeper relationship, I want you just to say yes in your heart. You can say it out loud if you want. But if you want to pursue an intimate relationship with me, let's go. We're going after Jesus together, all right? I want to see his heart. I want him to look me in the eyes. And that's the thing. He He has to look you in the eyes and tell you, well done. And that's what I want. I want him to see all of me and tell me, well done. Thank you, Jesus, so much. You are beautiful. Thank you for these amazing people, for this community, these friends, this family. And I just ask that you would, the rest of this week, that there would just be a peace in our heart. There would be peace in our heart that those lies of shame and unworthiness and I'm not good enough would just be gone. That all of a sudden they just would be gone and they would be replaced with your voice. That they would be replaced with your heart. Kind of like I do every week, I do, I pray for rest on this house. I feel like there's some people in here who have been tormented at night. We're going to sleep even feels like too much work. I just pray for peace, peace and rest. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I love you guys so much. This is really fun being here with you guys. Have an awesome week, an awesome Sunday. Have the prayer team come up. If anybody would like to just go deeper with this and get some prayer, come on up, all right? Have an awesome week. Love you all. See you later. Thank you for listening to The Pursuit Podcast. For more information about The Pursuit, visit us at thepursuitsoco.com.